Unfortunately, the mainland government is concerned that mainland China residents who have accounts in Hong Kong with brokerages will be buying U.S. stocks, not Hong Kong stocks, through those brokerages. So this is what they're trying to restrict. After all, most uh, mainlanders can now buy Hong Kong stocks via Stock Connect. So that, th- there's no restriction on that and will not be a restriction on that, as far as we're aware. So it's, it's trying to restrict the amount of, um, or the ability of mainlanders to buy into, yeah. the, into the U.S. market and possibly other global markets. Okay, well, sadly, we've run out of time, but thank you all very much. You heard there Asian Fund Management Industry Consultant Stuart Allcroft, Dickie Wong, who's Head of Research at Kingston Securities, and our International Economics Correspondent over in Washington, D.C., Barry Wood. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a final look at the markets for this morning. First of all, in Australia, the ASX 200 is down three quarters of a percent. Uh, the Nikkei 225 in Japan has risen about 0.1%. The Cosby is down. That's off about 0.4%. And it looks like a flat open for the Hang Seng uh, in about an hour's time this morning. Do stay tuned for um, back chat after the news with Janice Wong and Jenny Lamb. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock on Money Talk. The weather forecast for today, mainly fine and dry, cold in the morning. Maximum temperature is going to be about 19 degrees. And the outlook is for it to still be cool in the morning in the next couple of days. But temperatures will rise again over the weekend. There is a cold weather warning in force right now and a red fire danger warning. It's 13 degrees, 60% relative humidity. Coming up to 8.32, here's Brian Rook with the Half Hour News. The government says it still plans to introduce electronic toll payments at cross-harbour tunnels in the summer and the rest of the tunnels by year-end. This is despite the first stage of its Hong Kong e-toll plan at the Tsingsha control area being delayed by more than two months after drivers complained they weren't ready. Transport Commissioner Rosanna Law apologised, saying that authorities would boost publicity. She told RTHK that over 450,000 tags had now been issued and the HK e-toll could be made compulsory in future. She also denied that laid-off toll workers at Tsingsha would lose their severance pay after they were asked to come back to work. I know that some might say that those agreeing to stay on might not be able to get the extra share payment upon the end of the contract. That is not true. Actually, every one of them will get the original promised extra share payment by the management operator. And now, when we announce the extension, I understand that there will be additional extra share payment agreed already between government and the contractor. So there is no question of not getting extra share payment upon the extension. Desperately needed aid has started to flow from Turkey into rebel-held northwest Syria eight days after the devastating earthquakes. A convoy of trucks used one of two new crossings permitted by President Assad to bring in relief, though it has come late. The number of confirmed killed in both countries is now more than 41,000. The World Health Organization says 26 million people require humanitarian aid and the needs are only increasing, as are health risks, with millions homeless in near-freezing temperatures. Hans Kluger is the WHO's Europe director. We are witnessing the worst natural disaster in the WHO European region for a century. But I can assure you that the WHO will remain steadfast alongside the people of Turkey and Syria for as long as it takes. 
The European Parliament has passed legislation which will stop new petrol or diesel cars being sold in member countries from 2035. Opponents of the move had argued it would cost hundreds of thousands of jobs, but supporters insist the law is necessary to move the European Union towards carbon neutrality. The EU's Climate Change Commissioner is Franz Timmermans. The Industrial Revolution is happening whether we like it or not. We can choose to lead it. We can choose to do it in a way that is socially compatible with our values or we can leave it to other parts of the world to lead it and then all we can do is follow and deindustrialize. We need to rebuild our industry on the basis of the future. And finally, Amnesty International says there's been a big increase in the jailing of online critics of Saudi Arabia's government. The rights group says in a report that at least 67 people there have been given long prison sentences for expressing their opinions. And we'll have more news on the hour from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and your guest presenter is Jenny Lam. On today's program, we're talking about Hong Kong's air quality. The Environmental Protection Department released data last week showing that the average general concentration levels of major air pollutants such as nitrogen dioxide, fine suspended particulates and sulfur dioxide dropped by 43 to 62% between 2013 and last year. The average roadside concentration levels of major air pollutants also fell by up to 64% during the same period. But the EPD admitted that the regional ozone is still a big threat. It also said that reduced traffic during the COVID pandemic had helped reduce the level of pollutants, though they were confident that improvements would continue thanks to stringent emission reduction measures and the increasing prevalence of electric vehicles. So what is the outlook for Hong Kong's air quality? Will more electronic vehicles on the road mean cleaner air? After 9.15, we'll discuss a very rare visit to Hong Kong by a feathered friend. So let us know what you think. You can leave us a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, email us at backchat at rthk.hk, or give us a call on 233-88266. Now to kick off our discussion this morning, we have on the line of Patrick Fung, the CEO of Clean Air Network, and Professor Wang Ziwei from the Chinese University, who is an expert on how air pollution affects people's health. Good morning, Mr. Fong. Hi, good morning. And uh, good morning, Professor Wong. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. So, um, Mr. Fong, what do you think of the latest uh, EPD figures? Is Hong Kong's air quality really much better now? Um, I think judging from the data collected by the EPD, uh, we believe in science and uh, we're happy to see and I believe most Hong Kong people would be pleased uh, to see there has been a significant reduction of air pollution um, across the decade. So uh, in general, we, we think uh, from our observation as well, the air quality has been improving um, in, the, in the past couple of years. And uh, how big of a role do you think uh, the uh, pandemic played in helping to reduce the level of pollutants? Well, I think um, the pandemic has actually, uh, uh, it's one of the factors. Uh, it uh, reduced the traffic volume. Uh, however, uh, I think uh, most importantly is the long-term policy change that uh, the, gov the government should take credit of it, but as well as uh, the scientists, the business community, as well as uh, the uh, general public has been very supportive of uh, cleaning air. So I think in general, the uh, policy change is the uh, primary or dominant factor, but the pandemic has uh, been uh, another factor as well. 
Yeah, so uh, the ozone layer, though, remains very high. What are some of the possible solutions to that? Well, um, well, yeah, the, uh, for the ozone um, uh, concentration, it has been on a rising trend for the couple of years. I think uh, what we need to do is to figure out in terms of the science to understand um, how it is formed, uh, uh, the precursor and the emission source uh, in regional and local. Uh, but then I think uh, what as a green group like us, we would urge that uh, we should have a regional reduction target uh, uh, so that uh, the GBA cities, including Hong Kong, uh, should work hand in hand to reduce the ozone uh, concentration. And then with that uh, reduction target, we should formulate a uh, regional action plan uh, I think we, we don't have these two um, uh, on in our toolbox at this moment, and this is uh, what we need. All right. Professor Wong, do you agree that uh, this um, issue involving uh, ozone level is a regional issue? Uh, probably, yes. Uh, the, the fact is that uh, ozone is inversely uh, linked to um, particular pollutants. Uh, so very often when you look at the past statistics in in different districts in Hong Kong, you find that uh, those districts with a relatively high level of particular matter and uh, uh, nitrogen dioxide, they have uh, much less uh, um, concentration of ozone. Whereas in those uh, uh, areas which are, are low in uh, PM and NO2, uh, on the other hand, the uh, ozone layer, the ozone uh, concentrations are fairly high. Take, take an example, uh, Katmoon, for example. Katmoon is a background, is a kind of a background uh, monitoring station for air pollution in Hong Kong. Uh, nobody lives there, there's no traffic. Um, but, uh, however, the uh, ozone layer has consistently been high. Um, I have some statistics on 2021, which shows that the annual level of uh, ozone in Tamun, uh, which is uh, 75 microgram per meter cube. So that is, uh, that is fairly high, although that didn't really... Uh, uh, reach our air um, quality uh, objectives in Hong Kong, which is 100. But that shows that compared with other districts, uh, Katmon, uh is high. Uh, Hong Kong South, which is relatively clean. Hong Kong East, relatively clean. The, the level is high for ozone. Whereas for uh, districts like Kwai Chung, uh, Chun Wan, uh, they are relatively low. So we know that uh, the source of the ozone is largely vehicle emission. Will more electric vehicles on our road really help to solve that problem? Uh, probably not. The, the thing is, uh, uh, there are regional sources of, uh, as Mr. Fong said, uh, the regional sources for uh, volatile organic chemicals, because the uh, one of the precursor of ozone is uh, VOCs. Uh, uh, and also sunlight, of course, because uh, um, ozone is a photochemical uh, oxidant. So uh, I, I think if there is a, uh, a fairly 
big source of um, VOCs, volatile organic chemicals, from the region, uh, it would be very difficult to reduce the uh, ozone levels in Hong Kong uh, anywhere. All right. I just want to go back to this, uh, the, the cause of this uh, increase in ozone level. I mean, I know there's a study being carried out by Hong Kong, Guangdong and Macau authorities on the actual source of the ozone. Um, do you have any idea what is the main cause of uh, this increased level of ozone in Hong Kong? Professor Wong? Yeah. Do you, do you have any idea of the, um, the cause of this uh, increase in ozone level uh, in Hong Kong? As far as I know, the, um, the, the, uh, there is a huge, uh, very large um, petrochemical plant, petrochemical um, uh, processing plant uh, in Huichao. Again, I'm not sure how much uh, this contributes to the overall regional uh, level of volatile organic uh, uh, chemicals. But uh, it, it shows that um, we do have uh, um, important, uh, significant uh, um, sources of uh, emission of precursors of uh, ozone, which yes, is kind of beyond the beyond the uh, the, uh, the our our government's control. Okay, so so it's, it's due to um, industry over uh, in in the mainland. Now, according to government figures, um, the, this uh, pollutant is causing uh, a large number of premature deaths uh, in Hong Kong every year. And this rather um, alarming um, study by uh, Peking University in the mainland is saying the pollutants up there is causing up to sixty four thousand. Um, uh, premature death, well, babies who die in the womb, basically, um, stillbirths. So what what is the impact, do you know, uh, in Hong Kong does this ozone have on um, unborn children? I'm not sure whether your figure refers to air pollutant in general or ozone in particular. Air pollutants in general. Yeah, applications general. So, uh, in 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 this as in this respect, I think uh, uh, many um, uh, scientists in uh, in North America, and Europe, and, and and China, we we have a kind of consensus that um, particulates, particulates, and to a certain extent, uh, uh, nitrogen dioxide, they are uh, more important. If you like, more important. Um, the contributors of uh, ill health, like morbidity, mortality, uh, compared to to ozone. Because right. so, so ozone ozone depends on weather. It depends on whether it's uh, it's uh, higher in in certain certain uh, seasons of the year where sunlight is uh, is plentiful, whereas the particulates and uh, and uh, nitrogen dioxide. They're kind of pervasive uh, throughout the year, and also the uh, the level, the level of uh, particulates and NO2, uh, especially in Hong Kong, they are still on the high side, in particular uh, in the light of the 
the tightening of uh, air, quality, air quality guidelines by the WHO uh, in uh, 2021. Right, so, so this latest government um, uh, figures show that there has an improvement, um, especially during the pandemic. Are you saying that after the pandemic, do you, do you think it, we're just going to go back to where we were or, or get worse? It probably will, will, will rebound a bit, but uh, the general trend over the past 20 years has been, has been downward and it has been, uh, um, the, the, the trend has been very, has been quite obvious and uh, quite encouraging. Uh, but uh, we, nowadays we understand that uh, even at a level uh, that we are experiencing in, in Hong Kong, despite the uh, reduction, it's still uh, uh, above the uh, WHO uh, air quality guideline requirements or our recommendation rather. All right. Mr. Fung, what's your view? I mean, uh, just now, Professor Wong says he expects uh, air pollutants to uh, rebound a bit uh, um, when uh, economic activities get back to normal on both sides of the border. Do you, do you expect a rebound as well? Well, uh, largely agree. I think uh, one of the uh, perspectives that we should look into is the, uh, uh, the level of air pollution would be uh, positively uh, proportionate to the volume of vehicles. Uh, until the day that uh, all vehicles in Hong Kong are uh, transitioned to uh, zero emission or electric. But uh, that, that wouldn't be the case, uh, I think, in the next uh, uh, five or ten years' time. So I think we, we should have an um, uh, expectation that the air pollution might uh, rebound a bit uh, in short term. But then I agree with uh, Professor Wong in long term. Uh, I think we should uh, uh, be uh, do, doing better than uh, what has been, I, I think, uh, since the year um, 1990-1902, uh, uh, year 2000, that we have encountered a, a really uh, spiking in terms of um, air pollution. And then the other factors uh, would be the ozone, as you mentioned, how regional um, uh, industrial activity would lead to um, uh, whether there would be higher uh, level of ozone and whether uh, our science or technology would catch up uh, to uh, inhibit growth of the level of ozone. And uh, just now, uh, Professor Wong, when we were talking about uh, increased uh, ozone level, he, he says uh, that uh, he doesn't think uh, electric vehicles or the increased use of electric vehicles will solve the problem. Do you share that view as well? I mean, what role do electric vehicles play in this issue? I think uh, we have to look at roadside air pollution. So from the EPD um, uh, data, there are two worries, though, uh, that the officials have been shared, uh, sharing. Uh, one would be the regional ozone that we have discussed. We need to uh, do the science and look at how we could inhibit the um, ozone precursor, including the VOC, um, uh, basically uh, maybe primary, primarily from the in industrial activity in the region. So this is number one. Number two, it is roadside uh, air pollution is still high in some of the uh, areas, Kwaichong, Chong, Sam Bo, Mong Kok, Kosui Bay, Kuantong, etc. So it is an um, electric vehicle that would bring the benefit uh, to the roadside air quality. So uh, majority of the population in Hong Kong uh, at the outdoor, uh, we are still at uh, very close uh, proximity to the uh, tailpipe uh, from all the uh, vehicles, uh, especially from the commercial vehicles, uh, the trucks and lorries, um, the taxi minibus, 
as well as um, uh, other kinds of uh, public transport, say the franchise bus. So these are the um, areas that I think uh, not only electric private vehicles needed, but also electric uh, public transport and electric uh, commercial vehicle would bring um, a massive uh, benefit to Hong Kong. And as you have called the uh, figures from the uh, Peking University, I think in Hong Kong, we, we could also look into uh, what Hong Kong U uh, School of Public Health, um, uh, the, um, the Hadley Environmental Index. So the index uh, tells us that there are around uh, 3,500 premature deaths caused by air pollution in uh, 2022 alone. So this has been a alarming figure, and uh, I, I think we, we should probably link um, uh, public health uh, with the environmental emission control measures. So, so what are uh, the exact cause, the exact nature of these premature deaths you're talking about? So, uh, uh, it, it is caused by um, a, a various uh, uh, kind of uh, diseases. I, I think uh, most importantly the respiratory disease, and then also the circulatory disease. Um, so, these are the um, the top um, uh, factors that uh, cause the uh, premature death in Hong Kong. Right. So, Professor Wong, we know that in our schools um, there are days when the uh, pollution is so bad that children cannot do physical exercise outdoors. What are some of the other measures that the public can do to protect themselves? Uh, all right. Uh, perhaps before I, I go into that, uh, let me let me just uh, make some clarifications on the. the uh, a statement by Mr. Fong. All right, uh, for ozone, um, the uh, roadside uh, uh, level is uh, not a problem. Uh, for example, uh, the uh, three roadside stations in 2021, the level is uh, relatively low, uh, around 30 uh, micrograms, whereas our uh, uh, air quality objective uh, for the daily maximum is 100. So, so actually, the uh, the reason is that uh, um, NO2, nitrogen dioxide, is a major problem on the roadside, which are caused by um, uh, traffic. And uh, in a way, the NO2 uh, consumes ozone. So on the roadside, actually, the level is low. And as I said earlier on, uh, the uh, Ozone concentration in Taiwan is the highest among all stations. So, so you can see, and, and also Hong Kong South and Hong Kong East. So you can see that this is kind of universally related to to NO2. Uh, in in Hong Kong, in, in fact, uh, we are, I'm a little worried about NO2 because uh, when you you reach the uh, EPD statistics of the monitoring stations, uh, NO2 is the pollutant that. Uh, that uh, often breaches the um, the equity objective set by the government. So, uh, in, uh, um, um, to answer your second question, your, your question about uh, roadside uh, uh, pollutants and ESQs, uh, how it affects you and so on. Certainly, um, when we have uh, uh, poor uh, air quality. Uh, around schools, the uh, um, school authority, I think they should um, um, advise students not to perform uh, outdoor exercises, physical exercises, and instead to keep them indoors. 
the point about uh, exercise is that uh, when you when you do physical exercise, as we have done uh, studies in the in the past that shows when you do heavy physical exercise in in uh, uh, in uh, a polluted district compared to uh, 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 exercising in a clean district, the uh, value the the um, the a positive value of exercise is gone in uh, those school children in uh, uh, in a polluted district. So, in other words, uh, we normally we 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 uh, quite rightly uh, expect physical exercise to help the cardiovascular functions in in children, and this we indeed we show that uh, for children in clean districts, but in a polluted district, on the other hand, the, uh, there's no relationship between exercise and better lung function, better uh, cardiovascular uh, heart and lung function, which means that the positive beneficial effect of physical exercise is uh, nullified by air pollution. Right, so, 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 the, so this nullified, is it actually harmful? Indeed. Indeed. It, it, it is. So um, earlier, Mr. Fong also pointed out that so, there are several districts, and so, so have you, such as Sham Shui Po and uh, uh, Tap Moon, um, that are particularly worse. No, uh, uh, Tap Moon is worse, and no, uh, for ozone, you mean. For ozone, Tap Moon is uh, worst, and uh, followed by um, uh, uh, Guan O. Hong Kong South and Hong Kong East, which are relatively clean um, uh, districts in terms of other pollutants like like PM and NO2. But what so, what is so, it about the geography of Changquanou, for example, that that makes it more vulnerable? It, it's it's facing the easterlies. It's facing the easterlies. So 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 in in, in a way, uh, the pollutants are uh, quite easily dispersed. All right, let's go back to Mr. Fung. Um, just now, uh, Professor Wong, he said uh, for ozone, uh, roadside, uh, roadside uh, air pollution level is uh, not a problem. What do you, I mean, what's your view on that? I mean, you, you seem to think it's a problem. So, uh, let, let me clarify. When I uh, talk about the roadside air pollution as one of the um, challenges for Hong Kong, I do mean um, NO2 and uh, also particular methods as well. So I align with uh, Professor Wong on this. All right, and uh, and uh, on the suggestions, uh, I mean, apart from uh, increasing the use of electric vehicles, I mean, what what other suggestions uh, do you have? I mean, we all know that uh, the budget is coming up uh, next week. Do you, I mean, what do you hope to see in the budget, Mr. Fung? Well, uh, back in twenty twenty one, the government has launched the uh, EV roadmap, uh, so a uh, roadmap that uh, popularized the use of uh, electric vehicles in Hong Kong, and in that plan, we are glad to see there are more. Uh, policy measures and uh, budget uh, reserve to uh, promote the use of private vehicles. But what we don't see uh, was that uh, there's a lack of mention of how we are going to accelerate transition of the commercial vehicle as well as the public transport towards electric. So this is what we expect in the upcoming years. We understand that uh, the government is going to renew the EV roadmap uh, in 2025. 
So then from now to 2025, uh, our question would be, what are things that we could do in order to um, develop a plan that would be resourceful, uh, that would be ambitious enough uh, for Hong Kong to achieve a couple goals, including uh, the decarbonisation goals that we pledge to achieve a uh, carbon neutrality uh, by 2050. So this is number one. Number two is the clean air goals. So uh, the clean air plan uh, published by the government uh, commit to um, uh, the goals that Hong Kong will, will Hong Kong's air quality will catch up with uh, that of Paris and Tokyo and other global city in 15 years' time. So uh, electric vehicles will be one of the key drivers to achieve that. And then, of course, we have to achieve the um, uh, most stringent World Health Organization standards. So are we on track to achieve all of that, I mean, with the uh, improved air quality we're seeing? Um, I think in long term, uh, we should be uh, cautious about uh, what next we should do. Uh, we know that uh, in the past 10 years, we have done something. Uh, we have achieved significant reduction. But then in the long term, if we are not um, uh, ambitious enough or if we do not invest more uh, to tackle um, uh, roadside emission uh, as well as um, uh, acceleration of the transition of uh, road vehicles in Hong Kong, I think we may expect some bounce back um, uh, in the medium term. All but right. uh, in overall, we are on, on track, but then uh, we, we do definitely uh, need to work harder. All right, Mr. Fung, unfortunately, we're out of time because we have to take a break for the news. Um, thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Patrick Fung, the CEO of Clean Air Network. And Professor Wong, you'll stay with us for a bit longer so we can continue our discussion after the news when we will be joined by Mark Webb Johnson from Charged Hong Kong. And after 9.15, we'll discuss a very rare visit to Hong Kong by a feathered friend. If you have any comments or questions for our guests today, do give us a call. Our number is 233-88266. And here's a quick look at the weather. Dry and cold with cloudy periods in the morning. Mainly fine later. Right now it's 13 degrees. Relative humidity, 59%. Alongside the people of Turkey and Syria for as long as it takes. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Wednesday morning with Jenny Lam and me, Janice Wong. Still with us on the line is Professor Wong Tiwai from the Chinese University, who is an expert on how air pollution affects people's health. And joining us now is Mark Webb Johnson, the chairman of Charged Hong Kong, that promotes the adoption of electric vehicles in Hong Kong. Good morning, Mr. Johnson. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. So um, just before the news, we briefly talked about the role of electric vehicles in helping to reduce air pollution in Hong Kong. Um, can you first tell us how popular electric vehicles are uh, right now in Hong Kong? Uh, well, from the point of um, private vehicles, you know, cars and motorcycles, the, it's really changed in the last few years. I mean, we're now seeing every month, you know, 50% or more of all newly registered vehicles who are electric. Um, we've got brands, you know, all the major brands are offering electric vehicles now in Hong Kong, where previously it was just one or two brands. And it's, it's become more of a supply problem now that the demand for electric vehicles, at least the private ones, is much higher than the demand can supply. It's often there's like a year waiting list to get an electric vehicle now. Right, but so, it, it, sorry, go on. 
so yeah, I was saying that so for the private, we're fairly happy with how things are progressing. But from the commercial side, it really doesn't seem that much is happening at all. Yeah, so so that's exactly what I was going to say because because um, just before the break, um, Patrick Fung from the Clean Air Network, he's, he's, he was saying commercial vehicles um, are, are more the contribution um, to to emission to ozone levels um, rather than rather than just private one because you know obviously we have more commercial vehicles on the road. So in your view, what do we need to do um, so that so that we can uh, make our commercial vehicles go electric as well? Well, I think we've learned a lot over the last few years on how to deploy this. I mean, we need charging facilities. We need service and the, and the vehicle models to be available. And, and they need to match the requirements of the industry in a cost-effective way. Yes. So, you know, the, the, what we need to do is basically apply the same model we did for private EVs to the commercial market and I, I sort of I, I think we can there are certain vehicles which are harder to do to electrify than others you know like huge heavy trucks are very hard to do but small light vans and um, you know so I, I, I view that we should take on each segment of the market one by one working out what the solution is for that segment and then deploying it like you know, I mean, someone mentioned earlier school buses you know or, or schools what can we do for Yeah, so obviously there's a cost consideration for for the owners of these commercial vehicles. Our, our double decker buses, for example. I mean, is it realistic to to ask the bus companies, hey, you know, fork out the money and make them electric? There's a huge cost concern. Yeah, the, the problem is that the, the cost which is not being allowed for is, is is the cost of the health and the the livelihood of Hong Kong people, because that is not accounted for. You know, the Headley Index was mentioned with you know. I mean, the sad truth, I don't want to minimize COVID, but more people have died prematurely from respiratory problems caused by bad air than from COVID in the past few years in Hong Kong. Right. And uh, um, you talked about how um, the uh, uh, demand for electric vehicles has increased, uh, Mr. Johnson. Um, how much of a difference does uh, increase uh, use of electric vehicles uh, actually make in clearing up pollution, air pollution? Um, well, at the roadside, it's, it's 100% difference. I mean, pure electric vehicles have zero roadside emissions. So obviously some of those emissions are, are moved to electric power stations. But in reality, it's a lot easier to clean up a few dozen electric power stations than a few hundred thousand little tiny engines running around the road in Hong Kong. Right. And uh, you talked about uh, commercial vehicles. Um, we, we have actually seen a few uh, electric buses around uh, last year. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I, I agree that at the moment double-decker buses are hard, but single-decker buses is a solved problem. So we should be able to convert the single-decker buses first. As I mentioned, school buses and these mini minivans are a solved problem. The models are available in Hong Kong now, and it can be done. But we need, for instance, charging facilities. That's the biggest one. I mean, we, we've, in the last few years, deployed quite a substantial charging network for private electric vehicles. But commercial vehicles are not allowed in those car parks, typically. So in, we need to do the same for commercial. 
Yeah, you know, I, I remember visiting Guangzhou, and, and I'm talking about like 10 years ago, and, and I was surprised how many of their buses are electric. Um, so, so what is it that, uh, that we can learn from them to, to make this possible? Uh, yeah, I mean, they, they have done a fantastic, not just the buses, but taxis also across the border. And of course, our air quality is benefiting from the work they've done over there. Um, I think we can learn from how they did it. Um, it was a combination of sort of mandated enforcement from the government, but also the industries working out how they can cost effectively do this. Okay, so we have the budget coming up. As you know, in, in the past budget, um, the, the, there have been a lot of uh, concessions giving to people who want to swap their petrol cars for electric vehicles and, and tax, um, you know, tax incentives and all that. What more can the government do to encourage um, people to give up their old petrol cars, in your view? Cars, I, I really think it just continues the current policies. The, the current, um, the biggest is the tax concession, which is a one-for-one -one swapper scheme, and that will expire in 2024. It would, given particularly that the, you know, the, the electric vehicle wait lists are now very long, it would be nice to see that policy extended, um, extended soon rather than waiting a year to hear whether it's extended or not. But for commercial vehicles, is what I'd really like to see in this year's budget. I'd like to see some concrete plans to to, to electrify some commercial vehicle segments. Right. And Professor Wong, what would you like to see in the budget this year or next week? Well, uh, just uh, to supplement the uh, the previous points made by uh, Mr. Fong and and uh, the present uh, speaker, Mr. Johnson. Um, I think I think the very important source of uh, air pollution is the power plant. Uh, we need to move away from coal. We need to uh, to uh, use more natural gas in uh, power generation as, as well as uh, nuclear, if possible. Uh, the other point about um, uh, about the uh, electrification uh, versus other means is that uh, I think uh, uh, it is easy technical technologically it is easier for the, the government to to uh, mandate the use of uh, Euro 5, Euro 6 uh, type of uh, vehicles, uh, that will uh, mean a very significant reduction in the, uh, the uh, uh, air uh, pollutant discharge from these uh, commercial uh, vehicles. Uh, I, I think that is something which uh, can readily be be implemented. Um, I do realize the difficulties in the the use of uh, electrified vehicles uh, in, in in commercial settings like like, like trucks and and uh, buses. Uh, but uh, uh, why not? Uh, why not? Uh, uh, you know, um, control the the, the current uh, uh, high emission uh, diesel vehicles. What about uh, it is there. what about what Mr. Johnson was suggesting that uh, the government should uh, target uh, target this issue uh, sector by sector, like focus on school buses first and then uh, single decker buses. Professor Wong, sure, sure. Uh, I mean, uh, electrification is is uh, is a better option, but uh, at the moment, I think uh, we can 
uh, well, sector by sector, we can uh, we can uh, control the uh, the uh, pollution, uh, pollution emission by requiring them to uh, switch to uh, a more advanced uh, type of uh, uh, fossil fuel vehicles, uh, Euro five, Euro six, uh, instead of the present uh, situation. All right. I have an email here from Mike. Um, he says, um, this is his, his view on uh, electric vehicles. He says, uh, our landlord and neighbor is building one coal-fired electrical plant each week. Electric cars just moves the pollution to other areas. And uh, that uh, email is from Mike. Um, Mr. Johnson, w- what's your view on that? Um, well, I think in both China and Hong Kong, the, the trend has been downwards. You know, respiratory particle emissions from power generation have been plummeting over the past 20 years. Um, same for CO2 emissions and same for China. Um, the, the point is, even if you run an electric car from a 100% coal-powered station, it's still cleaner than equivalent petrol car. But I would like to see, as, as the other caller mentioned, I'd like to see um, the cleaning up of the electricity grid, the move to more carbon and respiratory particle clean sources of fuel. What, what do you think, Mr. Johnson, of the critics who say that, you know, these tax incentives uh, uh, are really just benefiting um, people who can afford these very expensive electric vehicles? Um, you know, well, is it, is it is, is just not fair? Well, the, the price with the tax incentive is similar to a petrol car. So we're just offsetting the difference. Um, I'm obviously in favour of it. I, I consider it good tax money spent or not spent, not not received. Um, and I, I think it's necessary for the health benefits and for the livelihood benefits for Hong Kong and elsewhere around the world. Yeah, well, of course, uh, to, to produce electric cars, we need lithium. And, and you know, now the, the world is talking about the problems that, uh, you know, the demand for lithium can, can cause. And the eventual pollution, um, the, the lithium disposal of lithium, um, will cause. What, what is your view on that? Uh, actually, lithium is often caused is often raised, but actually, lithium is not really the problem. There's a lot of lithium, and it's relatively easy to get hold of. Um, you only need to look in the harbour; I mean, the seawater is full of lithium. But the, the problem is more the more rare metals like uh, nickel and some other metals, which are, are much more harmful and much more difficult to to get. Um, the benefit, of course, is that the EV batteries are extremely long-lasting, and they often have a second life as well, and they can be recycled very, very easily. It just needs a market for it. You need enough batteries to make it worthwhile. Right. So, 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 is... I, I, so overall, I'm not worried about the recyclability and the, the long-term mm-hmm. sustainability of batteries. I think it's the, the industry is very clear on how that can work. Right. So how does it work in Hong Kong right now if you have an electric vehicle? I mean, what, what happens uh, um, with the battery eventually? I think it depends on the manufacturer. The government is talking about introducing a, a, a regime where it's enforced, it, but it's very largely up to the manufacturer. I mean, for instance, Tesla is one of the biggest... EV manufacturers here, and they recycle the EV batteries after use if they fail or whatever. All right, and uh, Professor Wong. 
Yes. Um, earlier we, we talked about the Headley Index, I mean, before the news, and uh, Mr. Fung, Patrick Fung from Clean Air Network, he was talking about how uh, there were like uh, 3,500 uh, I mean, 3, premature deaths um, uh, that resulted because of uh, air pollution. Um, looking at uh, the improved air quality we're seeing, um, do you expect that uh, figure to uh, decrease uh, significantly in the, in the next few years? Uh, well, uh, I, I think there has to be some sort of revision of the head index, which was based on the, the older uh, air quality uh, guidelines uh, by the WHO. Uh, right now, uh, with the uh, tightening, with very significant tightening of the, the WHO air quality guidelines uh, 2020, um, the... Uh, um, AQGs, the air quality guidelines for particulates, for example, PM 2.5, uh, is uh, tightened to 5 microgram. Uh, that's the annual figure. And also for um, NO2 in particular, we have a problem with NO2 in Hong Kong. The, uh, the uh, uh, AQG for for NO2, again, is, is, it used to be fairly lax at about four, at 40 uh, microgram per annum. Now it's 10. So it's, uh, it's uh, 10 versus 40, uh, and that's a real challenge for, for Hong Kong. And if we adopt that, uh, if we adopt those uh, uh, DQGs for uh, calculation, recalculation of the heady index, will come up with uh, a very, uh, very much higher figure than before. So mm. that, that's kind of paradoxical. Even though we have a declining uh, level of uh, PM uh, and to, a, to some extent NO2, uh, yet the attributable uh, deaths and, and illnesses uh, from air pollution uh, will increase. So you're saying that uh, the we you're saying that basically we, we shouldn't really trust the Headley Index right now. It, it needs to be no, it has reviewed, to be revised. Revised. It has to be revised in the light of the new uh, WHO guidelines. Right, and the WHO guidelines. You said it's been tightened. What about our own air quality objectives? I mean, no, we're we're far from that. We are far from that because the the uh, the government is still. Uh, using a stepwise approach, which I think, uh, it, 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 in, a, in a sense, it uh, it uh, well, it makes sense because because we we are, we're too far away, we're too far away from the WHO AQG. So so uh, what government does is to to do it in a stepwise manner. In fact, the WHO uh, does recommend uh, so-called uh, interim uh, targets. So we but we have been rather slow. In, in, in walking up the stairs. Right. So interim target one, two, three, and so on. So there are, there are provisions for, especially for developing countries, uh, which are quite uh, unable to follow the uh, WHO AQG. So these provisions are for them to, to establish uh, uh, intermediate targets, uh, or they call interim targets, so that they can they can improve their air quality uh, step by step. But in Hong Kong, I think we can move our steps a bit faster.
But what what about? I mean, you you mentioned earlier that that the the, um, uh, the pollution um, uh, situation is worse in certain districts such as Shamshapur. Other than other than um, trying to cut down on the pollution, um, is is there something that we can do in terms of town planning to improve the air quality for some of our older districts? Well, well, well certainly, certainly. No, uh, uh, Shamshapur. Let me let me let me uh, uh, point out again. For Shamshapur uh, districts like like Shamshapur, Kuaichung, and so on, the uh, it's the particulates. PM10 and PM215 that are problematic, not uh, ozone. Okay, not ozone. Mm-hmm. For ozone, as I said, the the relatively clean areas like Tamun, South Hong Kong South, Hong Kong East, they are they are better off. Uh, but um, uh, coming back to your your your, your question about uh, the uh, control, uh, I think um, uh, you know. Um, uh, Carrot and stick is a, is a good approach, but uh, we, we don't have a, a big carrot, a big, a large enough carrot. I, I, I'm afraid. All right, uh, Professor Wong, we'll have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Professor Wong Chi-Wai from the Chinese University. Many thanks also to Mark Webb-Johnson, the chairman of Charged Hong Kong. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. It's now 21 minutes past nine and it's time to move to our next topic. And it's about the sighting of a rare bird that's never been spotted in Hong Kong before. It's called the scaly-sided merganza. And uh, to tell us more, we're now joined on the line by Yu Yatung, the director of the Bird Watching Society. Good morning, Mr. Yu. Thanks for joining us on the prob- uh, on the program. And this must be very exciting for bird watchers here. Um, can you first tell us how rare the bird is and what does it look like? Okay. Well, thank you very much. And that, uh, the bird is quite rare, uh, both a uh, 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 global and, and local context. Because uh, we just mentioned uh, this is the first record for Hong Kong, so we must be very rare in Hong Kong. Uh, we don't we don't have any record of this bird uh, before. But also, this bird is quite special because it is also a globally threatened, highly threatened species. It means that uh, the bird just has a very small uh, global population. Uh, and also, it has, it's just facing a quite a high chance to be, uh, to extend in the, in the coming future as well. So, so how many of them have been spotted in Hong Kong? Oh, just one. Just one. Oh, just one. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, where, where was it? Uh, in the uh, in a western, uh, in a western, uh, central territory. Right, you said it's a there's a small global population. Um, how small? So how? Sorry. How many are there uh, globally? Oh, it's about global, global. Uh, uh, the scientists just could only uh, make some uh, estimate. Uh, they, they can't they can't have a, a complete figure. But uh, from various studies, they think they think the global population was uh, is about uh, less than four thousand five hundred mature individuals. Okay, so this is a migratory bird. Um, usually stays in southeastern Siberia and and the northeastern parts of mainland China during its breeding season. Yes, yes. Has, uh, presumably, they don't migrate one by one. I mean, usually birds migrate in flocks. Was there something? Um, was this just an anomaly of this one bird that was spotted in Hong Kong? Oh, the fact is not actually that that's strange. Uh, actually, actually, many migratory birds, particularly the young birds. Uh, could go by 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 by, 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 by,
explore other places just by 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 by, them, by, by one bird. Uh, but actually, we cannot age. We cannot find the age of this bird. But from from so far, from the information we have, the bird could be a young bird. So, so for me, it is not really strange. But also, it is a quite a uh, of the migratory birds. Sometimes they can go explore new area, and then actually that is quite quite natural for for the migratory birds. So you think that the bird is here because it's just uh, exploring a new area, or, or is it actually lost? Uh, both. <laughs> Could be both, actually, yes. yes. All right. And uh, you, you, uh, I, I mentioned at the uh, beginning that uh, this is called the scaly-sided merganser. Yes. When I look at the photos um, of this bird, it actually looks like a duck. Is it just a type of duck? Yes, this merganser um, is, a, is a, a, a group of the ducks, so uh, it has some um, special features, so but yeah, the other people, other people actually uh, give them a, a little different name. So yes, Magenta actually, Magenta has a quite a, a, a thin bill, but the bill, actually, if you can get a close look, you can see some uh, 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 teeth-like uh, structure on the, on the, on the, on the, on the bill. Uh, for the other ducks, uh, the, 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 yeah, the, the shape of the bill is a bit different. Right, and so when was this uh, bird actually uh, first uh, sighted? Uh, the bird was firstly sighted around Chinese New Year holiday. Oh wow, that's a long time yeah. ago. That's quite a long time ago. Um, do, do you have you have you spoken to the person who uh, first spotted it? Uh, not really, not really. Uh, but we, um, the, the society got uh, a report of this bird. So yes, and, and then we we we, we many people many bird watchers know uh, uh, that this bird comes to Hong Kong. <laughs> and is the bird still in Hong Kong right now, or, or has it left? I mean, because I, I know you don't expect it to stay here for that long. Uh, I didn't check. I didn't check yesterday. I don't, I, what I mean is that I don't. I don't get any report yesterday. So, I, but yeah, uh, about a day before or uh, two days ago, the bird uh, was still there. So, yeah, I, I, I expect uh, the bird still uh, stay here for yeah a couple more moments. Okay, um, as as far as migratory birds are concerned, not just this particular duck, ha- have you seen a change in pattern in bird migration in Hong Kong, say, over the past 10 years? Oh, yes. Over time, over time, yeah, we definitely have some changes. Uh, yeah, some, but actually, the, the changes are not that simple. Uh, some, we, we have some species increasing, uh, but we also have some species increasing, and also we could have a species both increase and decrease in, in the past 10 years. So, yeah, each is actually quite complicated uh, to different species. Can you give me an example, which uh, like a particular bird? Uh, we have a pelican, actually a big bird, really big bird uh, coming to Hong Kong uh, in the past, but now they don't they don't come here anymore. We stay in further north in in, in uh, eastern China. So sometimes we we we, we speculate maybe maybe uh, the habitat will definitely have, have a major factor. But sometimes we think well, climate change. Uh, if we have a more warmer winter, this uh, uh, pelican. Uh, may actually can stay in further north like that, but this is just a speculation. You know, I just need to do a lot to prove this kind of uh, uh, hypothesis. What What about you know one bird that I do notice that uh, comes in it t- tends to come in the autumn and spring. You know when the weather changes is the white egret. Do you know anything about the migratory of the migration of the white <laughs> egret? Actually. Uh, Many people think uh, egrets could be uh, 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 the western you know, because you could see them uh, yeah, all the months, all the days. Uh, but actually, from our side, egrets actually have different numbers in different different seasons. So we also think we also think we also have a proof because through the, the tracking study, some egrets actually migrate to Hong Kong. They come to Hong Kong in winter time only. So in the, some 
今日晏嘅地地高，所以落貨貨唔穩定。所以出貨係 common goods， 但係 even we still don't know completely about that。所以 some goods 係吸住香港貨 breathing， and then some goods 係最吸住香港貨貨貨貨 winter。And yeah， you could see that all all the years， but actually different different regions could have yeah different different patterns， different different things you know in Hong Kong。Right, and, and Mr. Yu, I know, like when we talk about the scaly-sided merganza, because it's、uh, so rare, I, I'm sure like quite a few Hong Kong people will、uh, try to go and、uh, take a look for themselves.、Um, what advice do you have for them if、uh, they bring their kids along to to have a look at the bird? <laughs> that was just、okay. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, I think I think it, it will be good. It will it will be good. It will be good for people to come to have a look of this special bird. But please be with mind. Uh, all the birds are, but are all the wild birds are protected by the Hong Kong law, so don't disturb the birds.、Uh, it means that don't try to get too close to the birds, and also don't try to um uh, uh, to 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 flush the birds. Don't do that. Don't do that. So we usually usually advise people to bring the binoculars、uh, to watch the birds some distance, and that's just the 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 best practice for for the birds and also for the people as well. And don't feed the bird, right? Oh, definitely no, no, and also government. Just, just one last thing. My po used to be my po used to be a great place for bird watching. Where else for bird, bird, anybody who wants to go bird watching? Where are the best places? Oh yeah, my po is still good. <laughs> my po is still good, but actually,、uh, but if you say about this, um, again, so it needs a different habitat. So yeah, they they don't go to my po. The best. Uh, uh, doesn't go to my home, but actually in general in Hong Kong, my home is good. But also many places also quite good、uh, for bird watching. So yeah, we have quite a good, 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 good place. Hong Kong is quite a good place for bird watching. All right, Mr. Yu. I'm afraid we're out of time. Thanks again for joining us this morning, and that's Yu Yatong, the director of the Bird Watching Society. Many thanks also to you who commented or emailed us today, and of course to our guest presenter Jenny Lam and producer Yuki. Now here's the weather: dry and cold with cloudy periods in the morning, mainly fine later with highs of around 19 degrees. Winds moderate to fresh northeasterlies, occasionally strong offshore. The red fire danger warning is currently in force. 14 degrees at the moment. Relative humidity, 59 percent. One is perfect for a solo. With two, you can play doubles. The more, the merrier. How about a quartet? You could even form a basketball team. How many children should you have? The choice is yours. Be sure to plan ahead.